We know the kitchen is where it all goes on. We chew the fat, make all of life's big decisions and eat straight from the tin when no one's watching. Join me, Anna Barnett, as I head straight to the heart of our guest home, where I swoon over interiors. I'm impressed by the sheer scale of a fridge and cover the most organised of freezers. We dig deep. Discuss career highs, career lows, condiment shelves and so much more. There's of course plenty of serious food chat. Each week we'll finish things off with our guests' best sandwich efforts and possibly a snoop in their fridge. Today's guest started her career in food by doing something most of us only ever dream of, packing up the day job and moving to Paris to study patisserie at Le Cordon Bleu. French publishing deals swiftly arrived, but it was her little Paris kitchen pop-up restaurant that really caught the imagination of the public. Serving test recipes to a maximum of only two guests an evening meant it was the hottest table in Paris, and cookbook success duly followed. She has gone on to produce, host, and feature on an array of TV food shows around the world and created numerous more books. My guest is the ever-vibrant, colourful, queen of all things delicious, Rachel Q. Hi. <laughs> oh my goodness. I feel like I, I need, you know, what a dramatic entrance. <laughs> Here she is. <laughs> it's like, what is it, 9am for you? Yeah, yeah, it's 9am. But there's no, so I'm for so me, hard. I really have to, I pack in the mornings because come three o'clock, I already have to, I'm off to the nursery. I've got to get dinner ready. And then it's like, I, I, I kind of, I'm a morning person. So I like to like jam it all in in the morning. And then mid afternoon, I usually hit a low. Do you take a nap? Because I would be, I'd be, I'd be scheduling a two I hour nap. I used to. I used to take naps, but now I don't have time to take naps. <laughs> yeah. I'm so impressed because you are one of those people that clearly, when, whenever you read those articles about kind of people that really succeed in life, they are the people that get up at 5am, they do their gym workout, they're really winning by like 9am, they're kind of sat there really pleased with how things are going and the morning's really working out. I feel like you're that person, I'm inspired. Oh, well, that's very kind. I do. <laughs> let me just say, I do have days where I can't get out in the morning. It's hard. But at the moment, because um, spring is kind of, well, we just had snow. It's actually snowing out the window. But the sun is appearing in in Stockholm and uh, there are snowdrops coming out. So yeah. it's like it's a good sign. Yeah, signs of spring. We're a bit, a bit more, be- excuse me, a bit more behind here in Stockholm. So I feel like a bit more energized. And also, um, I notice the reason why I exercise in the morning, I notice not only is it good, like physical, but it really helps my mental state. And I think it's more for my mental, like I feel like mentally, I feel like, oh, I've really done something good for myself. And even if it's, it, it might only be 25 minutes, you know, it's nothing it's not a huge hour or something. It's 25 minutes. Usually the kids are scrambling all over me and they want to do squats and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's just 25 minutes, bit of movement and, and I feel better. So, um, I don't think I'll be running a marathon from my training, but (laughs) (laughs) but I've been following along. I've been following your runs out in kind of minus 12 and I was, Do you know what? I feel like this this whole thing is putting me to shame because I'm pathetic in the morning. I'm ridiculous when it comes to anything cold. This morning I had to get back into bed because I was like, it was 6 a.m. and I was like, ah, it's freezing. And I was like, after a shower, back into bed. But I was like, minus 12. I just don't think that I could actually talk myself into that type of endurance testing. (laughs) I mean, I used to, I used to be somebody who's like, I don't even run for the bus. 
I'm like, right. <laughs> but I didn't, I then did that app, uh, couch to 5k. Yeah. Yeah. So I started with that, took it slowly. And then I really started to enjoy just being, um, out in nature, you know, yeah. and then it was like last year I said, okay, I'm going to run 10k before the end of the year. And I did it like on the 30th of, Je- uh, of December or something ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that counts. <laughs> so now I'm trying to run 10K every month. Like I do 10K every month and then I like kind of do like smaller runs like 5K, you know, uh, once or twice a week and stuff like that. But I think um, I'm really embracing exercise. It's not the physical aspect. Obviously, the physical aspect's great, but it's also yeah. just the mental bit. The me- I really 100%. like it. I really click that actually this is really good for my well-being like exercise and it it sounds a bit of cliche I never used to be an exercise person but now I'm just like I you know it's hard are you hear me swearing I'm worse than Gordon Ramsay when I run (laughs) not in the kitchen just when you're running (laughs) just when I'm running it's like oh this is like running up the hill this is so so hard um or like when I'm doing like you know my 20th squat you know whatever I'm like oh this is awful but it's like, it really, really puts me in a better frame of mind. Um, and also the problem is I love to eat and Same. I just can't, I can't, I this really tried with reducing my intake of food. But <laughs> <laughs> the compromise, compromise is just too big. <laughs> Why would it's you? Like, I, I just, I just, I like, I mean, when I was filming last year, um, so in the autumn I was in the UK, I was filming two TV shows because normally I would just fly back and forth. But obviously with the current situation, I had to move the whole family to the UK. So I was filming a chocolate series and I was filming the Great British Menu. So between like eating loads of chocolate and then eating like eight (laughs) courses of, you know, fine dining food in one day, I like, I just gained so much weight. It was, it was horrible. No, you did not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but um, so for me, it's like just to balance it out a little bit, you know, some exercise because I love to yeah, eat. Yeah. I mean, for me, as like um, I'm not cooking is great, but if I meet somebody for the first time and they say, "Look, I can't cook, but I love to eat," and then I'm like, "That's all right. We, we will can be, be fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is gonna work. We're probably yeah. gonna be best friends." <laughs> um, I was going to say to you, do you feel like the kind of exercising has been that kind of tonic to get you through lockdown? How like how severe is like it felt for you over in Stockholm? Or were you, or were you over in the UK for most of the pandemic then? Um, so I was over from September till like mid-December last right. year. So I kind of uh, experienced the second lockdown you guys had. Um, I mean, I was, I've been very fortunate. So when it first kicked off last year, I was like a week away from filming the chocolate series. So that got postponed. So what I did is I just emailed the commissioning director at Discovery saying, Hey, we're not filming chocolate, but what are the restrictions? Maybe I can film something else. So I pitched another TV show and from pitch to production, it was like less than four weeks. So I turned around Rachel Koo's Simple Pleasures. We filmed it in my mother-in-law's kitchen with like a camera guy, (laughs) the DOP. I like posted on Facebook freelancer group, uh, freelance group for Swedish camera people. 
And the guy, he answered it, and he thought I was some Swedish housewife wanted to doing some YouTube videos. Oh my god, this is brilliant! And you used him though. <laughs> and he's brilliant. This Australian guy who turns out he's worked with people I know back in Australia because I've worked on productions in Australia. He ended up, we've worked, we work together all the time now. He then ended up filming my chocolate show. Then we filmed some stuff for IKEA Japan. We did some stuff for NHK Japan, uh, which just went out yesterday. So, uh, yeah, it like the pandemic. You were busy. <laughs> even though it, like it would have, uh, you know, all my work, like I couldn't travel anymore because all my work is based outside Sweden. I actually made... I made it happen by yeah. pitching and I just like said, okay, right. So you can't have a whole crew. You you only can have, you've got to minimize the crew, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah. so I just um, worked within the restrictions and that's what I've been doing ever since. So recently, well, the, the latest production I just worked on was for NHK Japan and the national channel. Was that something that you've pitched as well? That yes. you wanted to kind of grow uh, your audience in Japan? And that's so, oh my goodness, I'm so impressed by you. <laughs> Basically, I um, uh, my cookbooks are translated into Japanese. My yeah. TV shows air on their national channel. And every year for the past several years, I go over there every year and I film a, a Japanese special. And so uh, obviously I couldn't do it uh, this year. So I um, I was in talks with the production company I normally work with. And I said, look, I could co-produce an episode or like the special in Stockholm. And I basically, I set up my own production company to make it happen. I like put the crew right. together. I was doing call sheets. I was doing COVID I'm protocols. I'm loving this. So, because one of my, yeah, one of my questions absolutely is, yeah. you know, you have, you are one of those people that is 100% a go-getter and just like, it's really impressive to hear that you kind of have covered all aspects of like making, you know, it's not just like, I'm, you know, I've got these recipes and I need everything else to kind of form around me. You've kind of gone in there and just smashed it and just been like, <laughs> I will pitch, I will do the call sheets, I will, you know, get the, recruit the team. And like, you know, that is really and so admirable to just have that drive to get well to just I be guess so determined I don't have it well look I could either sit back and not work at all and not earn any money and I don't have the choice I need to go work and at yeah. the moment the only way to work is um and also what I in the tv world it's unless you're at a really really high level you don't get pitch projects very fr you've got to go pitch them because it's super yeah. com competitive there's so many tv shows out there everybody wants a slot on tv so you have to pitch the interesting projects to the commissioners and you have to sell yeah. it it's a business so i've always been somebody's like right i will go pitch it and a lot of the times it's a no a lot of the times the doors don't even open you know uh, but i'm somebody who's like it's worth an email. I like, I even go, so I do a bit de detective work when I'm looking for people's contact details. I go on LinkedIn and then I use all these apps to try and find really? an email. I'd like, yeah, yeah. I, Cause if I want to get hold of somebody and the amount of times where it, it randomly, it works out, you know? Yeah. But cause I took a chance, you know? That is so brilliant. Cause I felt like the, what has really felt like a common thread through all the brilliant people that I've managed to kind of interview for the podcast so far has been this incredible 
um, like sense of determination, but like this drive and like approaching everything with such a positive mindset of like everything and anything is possible. And I feel like you have that in spade loads. Like, so I love that. I feel like that it's infectious. I'm like, I'm getting off this call. I'm getting to work. Yay! Come on, <laughs> let's do like a little bit of, uh, yeah, I, um, I just, I've really kind of, I've got into my stride also because I, I hit 40 last year and I was going to do I like everybody wanted believe. a big party. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I kind of, I feel like I can, I kind of own who I am and I know what I want to do. Like when I first started off in TV, I kind of, I didn't know much, but now when I work on creative projects, I really want to work with people who have the same positive energy because that yeah. really makes a difference. I mean, I always 100%. say to people who are in whatever field you are, find your tribe and find your cheerleaders because yes. those people are really going to encourage you. You don't yeah. want to be chatting about a crazy project and somebody says, oh, you can't do that because that's financially not possible, blah, 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 yeah. kind of thing. Obviously, it's good to get, you know, real realistic about it but you also want people saying that's amazing like go for it kind of yeah. really so I think that's really important so um with the creative projects I put together I am like I don't want any grumpy grumpy people yeah, yeah. on my <laughs> well it is it, it has such a like it has such a big impact I think it is you're 100% right you know if everybody's on the same pages if everyone's as excited and as enthused and as kind of you know, heading in the same direction, you're going to, you're going to have such a better end product. I think it always makes such an enormous difference. God, I'm so excited. I actually genuinely, I'm like, what, it's 8.24 here AM. <laughs> <laughs> and I am, I'm hyped. This is amazing. Yay! Um, I feel like we have to talk about your kitchen because actually yes. when I first kind of properly met you was at your London kitchen. Yeah. In that amazing kind of peppermint green, peppermint yes. green, yeah. That incredible. Kind of, it almost peppermint. It, Spearminty. I, like, I, yeah, yeah. I think, oh, I miss that kitchen. I literally, I just sold it literally before I left the UK last year. <laughs> I think between Brexit and the pandemic, it just, it wasn't feasible to have a studio in another country. So I've got to fly to the office. <laughs> like, well, <laughs> I mean, that would be quite a luxurious thing to have. I you know, know, I know. And then... I mean, I, I I was going to film TV. Well, I did film TV shows in there and the plan was to film the chocolate series before the pandemic. So we were like, yeah. and I used to like hire it out for other shoots and stuff like that. But then um, it just became, when the pandemic and the Brexit just hit, it just became such a logistic kind of, uh, took up so much space in my mind, you know, yeah. and you want that energy. And, and like, I just said, look, you know, I want to use that energy for, more fun things and um yeah. hopefully I mean I've just redone my office which is the, like a tiny it's like as big as my kitchen back in Paris basically um <laughs> if there's someone that can handle small spaces I feel like you've got it <laughs> there you go but that was such a fun event that was um god that was two years almost two years ago I mean now, there was lots it? of cakes involved yeah yes. it was it was all very delicious I remember yeah, that yeah um, yeah. <laughs> but what I was going to say is your, and I think if I've been stalking the kind of correct images across your um, current Instagram page, yeah. then um, I thought we could talk a bit about your kitchen in Stockholm. Is it, yes. have you gone dark green, Carrera yeah, marble? Yeah, it's kind talk of dark green. <laughs> so um, this is the kitchen in our family home. 
And I never thought that it would be, I never thought I'd film a TV show in the kitchen because I thought, oh gosh, family home, all the kids stuff everywhere, it's not going to work. Um, but then the pandemic happened. <laughs> then I was just like, okay, <laughs> I, I, it's must. like finding a, it's not very Swedish the style I picked in terms of yeah. like the, the color. So finding a kitchen where you could shoot in and it would work for filming with the style like doesn't kind of exist in Stockholm and the budget right. to build a set to film in doesn't exist in <laughs> TV budget. So that's why we ended up filming Brilliant. in it. But when I, I mean, um, I, what did I, I think, I guess because did you do I had a to take, full renovation? Yeah, we did. Like because it was red, we ripped it all right. out, and actually we lived <laughs> with the old kitchen for over a year first because I really wanted to get a feel for how you move around the space, how do you use it, what what yeah. do you really need? Like so, I think if you're renovating your kitchen, if you're unexperienced with kitchen renovations, I always say live with the old space for a little bit, as long and as you can really, bear. <laughs> well, I mean, you're in the process of doing it, aren't you? Again. Oh my, yeah. And you'll no, and you'll and you'll notice that there's really not been much imagery of the current kitchen. <laughs> it's like it's yes. really yeah, it's not it. No. So I always think like list the things, what do you use the most? How do you use the space? I mean, if you're somebody who like has a lot like we have a microwave, we have like a toaster, we have a coffee machine. And they're really ugly. So, <laughs> I so was you like, definitely I, need a cupboard for those with yes, plugs. Yes, so that's why I think, okay, so you want a nice, like a cupboard where you could hide it away. Do you have yeah. a lot of spices? Then you're like, oh, you want a spice rack. For me, what I really loved in my London kitchen, which I kind of um, brought over, was I, I measured my cleaning bottles, like the cleaning, like all the like, and I had I yeah, had a little yeah. shelf where you could put all the cleaning stuff in there because I want to keep it off like kids' height, so I want to keep it above. And it's so nice, I'm so geeky. I get really like no, it's got oh a little God. little little spot. You're talking to the right person. <laughs> I'm 100 so, with you. I really like that. And then you can also think budget wise. So a lot of people think, oh, I really need to have my fridge in, you know, fitted. And I think, well, actually, if you have a nice looking fridge, if it's like stainless steel or whatever, it costs less because you don't need the cabinetry. You'll get yeah. more space, for instance, because yeah. you, you get more fridge compartment space. And you get the ice machine on the front. Yeah. So, <laughs> so there's that. like, a, if you kind of have to reduce the budget, they're like clever ways you can do, do yeah. that. Um, so I kind of bring in my arts background, uh, my art and design. Gonna, yeah. Do you know what I, f I find so difficult is the fact that there's just so many options and also to, to try and kind of not buy into to too many trends because you want it to kind of have longevity and yeah. like, how did you like, cause you've gone with like a gorgeous dark green that feels very yeah. classic. Like I have really am struggling currently with thinking what is the new kitchen going to look like? What, what colors do I go that yeah. will feel timeless that I won't kind of yeah. tire of? Like, how so, do you even um, I, I actually started reading up on color history. So um, I got a few books on the history of paint, the history of colors, because the house we live in is built at the turn of the 20th century, I think 1912 right. or something like that. So I okay. researched into the colors that were used then. Um, yeah. And I kind of took that in mind. And also our house on the outside is like a kind of yellow, um, not a bright yellow, kind of sandy yellow. Um, okay. So you know those houses in Notting Hill? 
the terrace houses with all the different yeah, yeah. colors. They're really, well, we live in these kind of terrace houses, not quite the same style, but they are yellow, orange, um, pink, but kind of in these kind of sandy, like um, not very vibrant, kind of more Scandi style. So, so I wanted yeah. to take in the feel of the outside like, so it would work. I didn't feel like a really yeah. modern kitchen would work for this kind of old style house. So yeah, you're living in a thing. period property. So I don't know whether you want to kind of bring in some kind of classic feel. Totally. Um, and also you could look into the history of colors because that might be inspiring. A- um, yeah. I'm so impressed because that is a very kind of well-researched approach to it. I've kind of, we've definitely looked, this is a Georgian property and we've Mm. definitely looked at like what would be, I guess, more typical features. Because I think I quite like the idea of your furniture having like the modern touch or kind of modern design to it. But then, you know, we moved into this, this property that's nearly 200 years old and actually they've ripped out every original Georgian feature there is. Yeah. So it's devastating yeah. in some parts but then in some respects we actually have the flex like there's no we don't have any fireplaces yeah. so actually we can use the space a bit more down like we you know we can put anything anywhere which yeah. is one positive but then we don't have a gorgeous original fireplace so well it's liberating yeah, it's, it's, liberating. it's liberating and you can bring in the georgian touches here and there and where you feel totally. it's relevant yeah, I love the idea of looking at kind of color history, though. That's that is an approach that I've not gone into. So I'm very <laughs> impressed. <laughs> um, what does uh, life currently look like for you in Stockholm? Like, have yes. you adopted any new kind of eating rituals? Um, <laughs> I mean, what's you know what kind of change? Did, I, I guess you've kind of lived all over. So yeah, yeah. How does life differ for you currently? Um, so. Pre-pand- so at the moment we're kind of very like living in our bubble we don't really socialize yeah. and stuff like that but pre-pandemic um going for fika which I th- if you know about swedish coffee culture cake coffee and usually a cinnamon bun or a cardamom bun yes. or some kind of sweet treat was a yeah. regular occurrence um and a great way because i'm I, I mean i work for myself so kind of meeting other people catching up with yeah. other freelancers was a really nice thing um during the day um so that's okay uh something I did often especially because Stockholm has so many really lovely bakeries um I mean the the baking here is more kind of uh, rustic like if you look at the sourdough breads the rye the spelt flour kind of um so they really like that so it's not got the you know the prison the French finesse Um, yeah 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 so it's it's a little bit more laid back very cozy though especially in winter because all the little bakeries and cafes I don't know how they get away with it but they all have their little candles out during the day because it's so dark and you like huddle around your coffee or you can sit outside and they have like little blankets and like heaters and it's super super cozy so fika um really really something I love and then in the winter so we've had a fantastic winter uh, where it the water froze over in Stockholm so everybody went out on the ice you go ice skating did you go ice skating did you do it I can't ice skate I'm not a winter sports person (laughs) (laughs) I I imagine you were still out there so but it's really nice um Swedes really embrace it outside so you go outside you will barbecue um so like barbecue you take like they really love their hot dogs here so you get a brioche bun and you get like a frankfurter and you got your your fried onions and your mustard so really really simple but it's just the idea of just going out and 
in and being outside um yeah. even if it's not a sunny day you just still get a bit of vitamin d because like the sunlight thing is a bit of an issue in stockholm yeah in how do you how oh, do you handle that <laughs> I used to so the way I used to deal with it tell pre-kids me, is like January February I would always get a project like abroad <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah well this is where because we would normally like try and book like a long haul holiday and really I mean but obviously it's much worse for you in Stockholm yeah I mean I remember like I would come over to the UK it, February and I'm like oh my goodness it's like going on on a holiday the UK but like the, <laughs> the flowers are out the blossoms are blooming I was yeah. like oh yeah so I go over to the UK and like get warm up <laughs> oh my I feel like that would really I, I think that would be the one thing that I would really struggle with because even with I guess it would get dark here at four and you really feel like you've lost half your day. Yes. Like currently now we're still like celebrating every kind of couple of minutes we're gaining every week in yeah. kind of daylight. Mm. But do you do like the, do you do the sad lamps or the, um, like, no, so do you do anything like that? I, <coughs> excuse me. So um, I've got better over the years, like just embracing it. Okay. So yeah. it doesn't get light until nine and then it gets dark at one. Just <laughs> like, Oh my. And then See, I'm like, I would struggle to get up, but uh, they would I, be my hours of being awake nine to one. <laughs> if, if I didn't have kids, then I'd be in bed a lot more. But I think um, you just have to go out when the like light is out. I mean, last year they did the sun didn't appear for two months because it was cloudy every day and because the sun goes up so little. <laughs> Oh, my it was like that. It was re- it's really quite horrendous. So, um, yeah, I think But your um, husband is Swedish, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I take vitamin D. I don't know. Yes. I don't know. I take vitamin D and I really try instead of like in the winter, everybody thinks cozy stew food. I actually think vibrant, lots of colors and, yeah. you know, spices and like really lively food. Because when you yeah. eat lively food and it's dull outside, it kind of, well, I think, well, I think, well, that's my theory. <laughs> like, yeah, it, it well, no, you feel a bit invigorated because I think that sometimes during winter, as much as like a big stew and dumplings is incredible, you know, it takes you down for a few hours. You're not kind of the most lively afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> You're snoozing it off. <laughs> So, you know, in some respects, I totally hear what you're saying. And also just, I guess, consuming all your veg, just staying healthy, yes. staying well. Yeah. Doing those think, runs in minus 12. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> optional. You can even walk. I think <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> I mean, for me, it's like a luxury because I listen to some nice music or like a podcast and it's a bit of me time without my kids clamoring on me. So that's yes. why like, I really embrace it. But I also think, you know... Adding more color, vibrancy, you know, more plants, um, yeah. just mixing it up, spices. And, and also, um, I feel like even though I can't go to these places at the moment, I've got other, I love Japanese food, but I can't really cook it. Um, so I got a lot of spices on my last trip and, um, I've got this yuzu seven spice chili powder. Ooh. And I don't think I'm using it the right way. I just put it on everything from my spaghetti bolognese to my scrambled <laughs> eggs in the morning. But for me, it's like, Asian food. Yeah, it makes yeah, me happy. I'm anywhere. I'm in Japan. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, just like then you're like you're you're traveling, and um, I recently gave a friend of mine a book, um, a cookbook um, about Palestinian food, and she'd never tasted 
been there mm-hmm. or you know tasted yeah. it but she loved the fact like oh it was so great it was so interesting you know do something different and that's what yeah. I think the joy of cookbooks that's what they can bring a little bit of escapism yeah you know 100%. discovering something new um yeah. yeah a little bit of joy what I have to ask you then what is your favorite cookbook what do, what do you have you got a favorite <laughs> do you want to see all my you... cookbooks hang on yeah show me show me, me. Okay. Uh, um, oh, I'm, they look so organized. Um, but actually, I because when I moved everything, because I used to have all my cookbooks uh, in London and I yes. had so, so many more. And then I had to do a really big cull, a, like a really, really big cull. So oh. I um, I kept, so I've got I all love my... I felt sad at that. <laughs> yeah, I got, I kept all, obviously, all my foreign editions of my cookbooks and yes. all the different. And then I kept the books which I really love or they have a positive energy. This sounds really hippie. But um, you marry Kondo to your cookbooks, I get it. (laughs) It's like because there's some cookbooks out there where potentially the author has not been particularly nice to me in the past. And I'm not going to name any names. No. And I was like, you know what? I really love and I really admire this person for their writing. And I really love their cookbooks. But I thought that I don't want that negative energy in my workspace. No, of course not. um, (laughs) A friend of mine who really loves cookbooks, she got them. So she's really happy. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like the um, I've actually got one book that I come back to time and time again. And Mm. it's called Where Chefs Eat. And it's the... Well, no, there's that series where chefs eat. I don't actually mean that book. I mean, there's this beautiful book and it's basically, it's, it goes around all of the top restaurants of the world and it's what they cook for the chefs after service is over and it's like the most beautifully shot. I'll have to send you the name of it because it's such a, I've like gifted it. Yeah. I'm going to think, um, I, I just, Anna Jones just sent me her new cookbook. (gasps) Yes. And the thing is, when I get sent cookbooks now because of Brexit, I have to pay like £10 to get no. it out of <laughs> the import duties. So you've really and got, it's really got to be worth it. I like, yeah, and it is really worth it. I it's like, I, I marked a lot of things with post-it notes. And also when I get sent books, um, I always like to at least cook one recipe in that book just to get That's a nice feel. Idea. And it takes me a while just to get, you know, feel for how that person cooks and yeah you know um also I know how much work which goes into a cookbook oh you my know, goodness it's, and it's crazy yeah and I feel like Anna Jones does pack in a lot of recipes and then I think she's done a vegan alternative for every recipe in this book <laughs> so I mean it's just that is such a like the the amount of work I can't I, I kind of can't quite get my head around that it's crazy it's, it's crazy but my cooking style I'm so I try to cook a recipe from a cookbook and this is how it goes. I like, I look through the ingredients like, okay, I've got the majority, but I'm going to have to sub yeah. in and then it just turns into something else. So just you've actually really... recreated I know, but <laughs> a it's, masterpiece. It's because I usually just cook with what I have in the fridge and I very yeah. rarely go to the supermarket and like, um, but Same. another one which I cook a lot from um, is Mira Soda. Her cookbooks, I cook a lot from her books. Oh, really? Um, and I've, I've done actually from, um, actually, yeah. So Mirasoda, Ottolenghi, I kind of do a lot. Who else? And then it's a lot with just like trying things out. Actually, um, 
Sabrina as well. So um, yeah, cooked it's really food cool. from her. But because being in Sweden, sometimes it's hard to get some of the ingredients. I think in the UK, you're really, mm-hmm. really spoiled for like how, you know, um, expansive and international the ingredient yeah. section is at the supermarket. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So where we live in the suburbs and we have a little supermarket and you get a small selection of Thai, maybe some Japanese, then I say Mexican. <laughs> oh, really? It's like it's like the you know the taco kind of tortilla kind of you know yeah. it's not. Um, El Paso. I actually, I actually <laughs> ordered um, like a, a maize like corn tortillas from a guy in Gothenburg who makes oh, them. No he, he sent it in the post, vacuum packed because I was so desperate. Do they? They don't do them. It's so you know, it's hard to get by. You can come by. So yeah. The, um, I actually really got into making Mexican tortillas because my brother bought me the oh, press got- to make them. The press, and it's you have to get the kids involved. Oh, my I goodness. get my husband involved. <laughs> That's the equivalent for me. But yeah, and you and you can also really easily buy the corn, the purple corn flour as well. So not just the yellow. So you get like the purple maize, and it's very pleasing. It's just water, salt, and the flour, and it comes together super quick. Let it rest, and then you just turn out your own um, tortillas. Right, so I know what I will be getting it. for my birthday. Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you need this, you need this. Um, I was going to speak a little bit about kind of your day-to-day. How, yeah. like, is every day for you very varied? Like, you have, you know, you're working on all these projects. What is yeah. a classic kind of work day for you? Okay, so classic work day, I usually have to get up early because the kid's up early, work out, get the kids off to nursery, then um, the night, actually, my working day starts the night before because I really like to set out what I want to do the following day. And I actually write things. I want to exercise tomorrow. I want to meditate tomorrow. I want to, yeah. um, I'm doing some writing exercises at the moment. Um, I'm also studying a food design course. So what I does that hope- entail? Oh, well, so this, there's this amazing uh, eating designer um, based in Holland called Maria right. Volgazang. And okay. I followed her work for almost 20 years. I actually wanted to go work for her one point, but <laughs> she didn't give me a job. <laughs> um, oh. She's doing, doing some online course. She does lots of amazing online courses. I just finished a, a 28 day creative pirate course, which was really right. cool. <laughs> it was, I'm it's so like, impressed. It's a- <laughs> you're doing all sorts. There's no stopping you. But at the moment, so I kind of um, decided 2021. So 2020 for me was like a lot of people. Everything was thrown in the air. Had to really yeah. think about things. I cut a lot of things out of my life. Um, and now I've realized I've worked for myself over for, for over 10 years now. And yeah. I am the worst human resource boss ever. Like <laughs> if you, no HR in your department. Yeah, forget it. Like holiday <laughs> sick pay, what like? Really, really bad. So I decided <laughs> this year I was going to start investing and in doing courses, like further education. Like on Thursday, I did a Franco-Japanese like mochi uh, online class. Never made yeah. mochi in my life. That was really no, fun. Amazing. It was all in French, so it really messed with my mind, but I made it. <laughs> the mochi looked all right. Tasted okay. Um, so I'm really kind of Instead of what I normally do every year in January and February, I'm like, right, got to send out pitches, pitch, 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 pitch. And now I actually said, okay, 
I don't have the stress of like uh, managing uh, the UK, my studio in the UK. So I can take that energy and that time and invest it back in me and really kind of figure out what I want to do. Uh, And I've taken that time to, well, firstly, I'm relaunching my website, which is like... Overdue, That's and, and yeah. then um, uh, like working with more women, and certainly after almost ten years in TV, I decided I want to see more women behind the camera, which um, in the UK is happening more and more. Um, yeah. But I'd never experienced like a female DOP, so director of photography. Yeah. So in Sweden, because the market's really small, very very hard. You get some very top end cinematographers. Um, who are just out of my budget. They're not interested in like lifestyle TV or the little video projects I do and stuff like that. Um, and then you get, have this like on the undercurrent, like these like camera operators who are looking to break it through, but just can't get that break because the way the TV industry works is a lot of it like, you know, someone who knows someone who will get you the job. Yeah. Right, and it's right, still right. predominantly male. Um, so I just put a female crew together. We shot a pilot this weekend, a crazy, really kind of, um, Wes Anderson, Michelle Gondry inspired kind of fun video, just having some fun, really pushing the boundaries. Um, and now I'm trying to figure it out. How can I make it from a financial point of view, like budget wise, um, work because the biggest issue I think with hiring a female DOP is that they often don't have the kit and hiring kit from a a, a, like a place where you hire stuff costs so much and I worked it out it costs so much it would cost me twice the amount I usually pay my regular creative crew in in uh, Stockholm so so this is where I'm like can I approach Canon Canon if you're listening to me (laughs) yes you can (laughs) approach them if there's anyone that can approach them it's you (laughs) I don't know or like yeah yeah so I'm trying to think of like how can I get more women like to that level to, to so they could work with me yeah, so, that's amazing. Um, and it's not just women. I mean, obviously, I've I've really made a focus on women here, but it's more diversity. You know, I really yeah. kind of want to push for that. And I felt after last year, I just felt there. Um, the the only change is going to happen if individuals actually who have that opportunity try and push for it. Yeah. So yeah, um, absolutely. yeah. So so that's uh, that really kind of digress from my day. So I <laughs> so going back to my day. You're, you're doing all sorts. Yeah, <laughs> I'm doing all sorts. So at the moment, and so I kind of like up till twelve, have lunch, and then do a little bit of work, and then I'm I have to go pick up the kids from nursery. I've got to cook dinner, and then it's like then it's just kids. So most it's, of the time, yeah. I'm just um, I'm kind of like uh, juggling kids kids and career like a lot of people but I'm very fortunate um to be in Sweden where there is still um like schools and nurseries are open but they are very strict let me just say my kids have been home for like three weeks because they had a sniffle so um and last year um I spent two months at home with both my kids in the countryside almost went crazy so I really feel the women out there or the parents out there single parents hats off to you yeah you are amazing like what you're doing you're really amazing but still yeah. I'm like so whatever gets you through the day that's all yeah. I say does your is your husband able to kind of help split the workload a little like with the kids um, or so 
Fortunately, um, in is Sweden, the, there is a bit more. This is why we live in Sweden. We pay the high taxes, but we get it back yeah. in parental leave and very highly subsidized nursery care. It's worth it. It comes around. It comes around. So if you're going to have kids come to Sweden, you don't get as much <laughs> vitamin D, but you pay very little for nursery. <laughs> <laughs> so they are in there every day. Yeah. As soon as you can. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, we we have a bit of flexibility. And I'm fortunate, um, even though my mother-in-law lives five-hour drive away, whenever she oh. can, she she's very generous. If we're down in the countryside, she is super helpful. So That's amazing. Yes. Yeah, so I, I, am, I am very grateful for that because um, without it, it's not possible. It's just yeah, possible. It, I do. I, you know, I so often think, I, like... There's days when I'm, when I'm like, I've not got time to take the dog for a walk. And I'm like, obviously I will take the dog for a walk. And that's obviously he has to go out. But you know, there's days where I just think, imagine trying to throw children into the mix there. That mm. is so full on and, yeah. you know, and still kind of do it to the best of your ability and, you know, be joyful on that dog walk. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you've got kids, you need to be, give a bit more. Yeah. It's so I really, you know, when I was in the UK, I also felt there is a air of almost fear mongering. I don't know what I felt right. from it being in the UK that the, the tone, maybe in the press or maybe just like there's a different, um, there's a lot of tension in the UK or when I was in the UK, I really felt it. Everybody was like yeah. on edge and I don't, yeah, yeah, I, I just, sure. yeah. So it, it was, um, yeah, I just feel this must be very, very, um, well, yeah, of course it's not, it's not easy to say the least no I think it has just been a completely bonkers time but hopefully it feels like we're now coming out the the other side of it yes a lot of people I mean, have been vaccinated you know, it's yeah, an exciting I time manifest positively I truly yes, believe same. that meditate manifest set your intentions send exactly. light and love <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit cheesy but cheese is good I love cheese if there's yeah. anything I would not be able to give up I've tried vegan <laughs> cheese I really tried vegan cheese I'm so sorry same. I can't. Do you know what? It's just, I know, I, I think it is something to do with the texture, but I think I, every, because I've got a couple of friends that are vegan and we do keep revisiting the vegan cheese and there's improvements for yeah, sure. Yeah, I think it's, it's definitely not, improved. Yeah. But it's a bit like when you know the real deal, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like non-alcoholic um, wine and real white. <laughs> yeah. So you want to do the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I I'm very much have a like flexitarian approach to food, and I am open to everything. I try everything out. Um, but I mean, I even kind of did a whole podcast series with Amazon Audible about exploring sustainability, whether vegan yeah. is the answer to saving the planet. And, you know, I interviewed everybody from Oxford professors, scientists, to vegan activists, to farmers, you know, and I don't think it's so black and white and simple as the media put it. It is yeah. such a complex area and there's so many things which have to be so many viables. So I yeah. think before you do yourself like, like go crazy, because some people like they go into the supermarket, I can't buy this sweet potato because it's made in like uh, Egypt or whatever, you know, yeah. and you like, oh, I can't buy this because the farmers aren't paid right. Or you just like, be as mindful as you can. Don't waste the food you have in your fridge. Use everything yeah. up you have in the fridge. And if you don't waste, that is already a big, yeah. big, big way you can help 
be so, and I think that's because one of the biggest issues in the UK is food waste or in the West. It's landfill, society. isn't it? Because it all it all goes into landfill. And I, I think, I mean, from various bits that I've been reading over the past year or so, that is something that is going to, I guess the pandemic might have taken over a little and Brexit. Yeah. But um, I think, yeah, that is one thing that is also, especially for big corporations, very much on the agenda to, mm. for people to reduce food waste because it does just go into landfill. Yeah, and if you think also how farming, so much of what they farm doesn't end up at the supermarket because it doesn't meet Meet the the criteria. criteria. So, I mean, it's like great. They're like, um, uh, there's rubbles, rubbles to rubies. They make tomato chutney and stuff like they take all the tomatoes, which don't. Um, and then there was, um, there's this, there was this French movement or Parisian movement called soup disco where they right. get all the like random vegetables, which supermarkets were throwing off and they do a massive soup and have a rave. But this was pretty pandemic. <laughs> That sounds amazing. That's the type of that's the type of food waste activations we should be initiating. Yeah, I think everybody would be for up for soup rave after the you know the lockdown finishes. Like totally. <laughs> Maybe this is something we sh- you should you should start putting out there now. Okay, let's let's all have a soup rave. <laughs> and then there's the ugly fruit and veg movement, um, yeah. which is which, which is, is also so great. important. Yeah, because makes people aware you know things don't look perfect and actually save some money and buy like a ugly apple and still tastes good but you don't have to pay so much I know it's it's kind of ridiculous that everything had to be so picture perfect in the in the first place like when who kind of decided that I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> I don't know, but we've been buying into it without even realising. I know, um, I know. <laughs> I feel like we have to talk a bit about your kind of heritage and growing mm. up and what food looked like because your so your father is Malay Chinese and your mother yeah. Austrian. Yeah. I am so intrigued by what kind of food looked like growing up and how varied and exciting that must have been for you. So I grew up in the 80s. And anybody who's a child of the 80s, it's like yes. I've already revealed my age. Actually, you just Wikipedia and you know it anyway. But, um, <laughs> so in the 80s, it was really unusual to eat anything kind of foreign. You know, like my mum told me she would have to go to the pharmacy, the chemist, to get olive oil. <laughs> this is That's hysterical, is. yeah. And so was that, that was in London, right? So Yeah, so in, uh, we were in Bromley, Croydon, yeah. Bromley. Um, and, um, I just remember as a kid, we would eat like beef rendang curry, Chinese stir fry, chicken congee. Um, then there'll be our odd schnitzel thrown in, spaghetti bolognese, but Sunday we always had a roast. So, and who was the cook then? So it was my mum. Your mum was the cook. So she had learned to cook kind of your dad's heritage food. Yeah. Was that kind of overridden from her own? Did that kind of override her own heritage? Like, yeah, so we we ate like most of it was kind of Asian inspired or Malaysian inspired kind of. um, Yeah. And yeah, but all that, I just remember Sunday was always roast and Monday was always leftovers. And leftovers was just really random because you get roast, (laughs) then you get a schnitzel, a bit of bolognese, and then maybe a rendang in there. That sounds like the perfect kind of buffet of all my favorite things. There you go. There you go. It was really random. But as a kid, I was like, oh, mum, I just want chips and chicken nuggets like my best friend. I feel like whoever you talk to, it was kind of like, there was a definite kind of chicken Kiev and waffle era. 
Oh my god. The goodness, frozen yes. food era. Yeah, it? yeah. So um no, so I was kind of slightly jealous of my ne- like my friends at school at primary school. They're like very I would say rather beige food. Actually, that's yeah, the word. Totally beige. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty beige 100%. apart from some frozen peas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And do you feel, so kind of where did your, what are your home comforts now? Mm, what are my home comforts now? I do, I do love a curry, um, yeah. but I'm not very and you, good at you What's your making, go-to? Oh, what am I? I actually, I made, this is the curry my kids will eat because it's not very spicy. It's like the aubergine uh, peanut coconut curry in Mira Soda's book. I can't remember which one right. it was. But it's really good because my kids love peanut butter. So. A bit sweet. Yeah, yeah. That's a good way to kind of get them onto the spicy exactly. foods. Exactly. Know. So that goes mm-hmm. down really well. Um, I love that. But I love dumplings. I just don't have the patience to make them. Like, but that's something you can totally get the kids involved with. I know, or can you get them? <laughs> <laughs> you know how the dumpling will chaos. end up? It'll be like <laughs> some kind of mushed up, like... Thing. maybe it's just fish cakes maybe that's what i mean I mean, fish cakes. Can really just yeah. yeah yeah fish cakes will be hamburgers fish cakes yeah um that will that will definitely go down but maybe a bit when they're a bit older yeah can they, when can they can get- dump you can get dumpling wrappers because there are a couple of asian supermarkets but what i noticed with the pandemic that they have problems getting the the ingredients because the less really? flights Oh wow! Okay, yeah. So the supermarkets have been less less filled, uh, unfortunately. I actually heard recently. I had um, I interviewed Ravinda Bogle, whose food is incredible, and we were having a very in depth discussion about curry leaves. And she said that there had been a shortage of curry leaves uh, because they were being used uh, by smugglers in the cocaine industry, which was interesting. (laughs) There's me going around to three kind of Indian supermarkets down Brick Lane, being like, "Where's the?" curry leaves um, yeah so that was interesting to get that kind of answer but for me curry leaves I feel like are you don't get them in enough places but when you no. do get them they just I feel like they are such an amazing addition yes. like a dried curry leaf does not cut it does it no but I so here I've only seen dried I it's really? so, yeah, yeah. Just don't... it's so, you guys are so spoiled when I was in the UK for the three months last year I literally just hoovered up I did we were at Leamington Spa so I got a local veg and fruit veg box I love that yeah local farmers and then I got all the meal kits from all the restaurants because that was amazing, amazing. Yeah. it was yeah. so fun I loved it I felt like I I was almost able to go to the restaurant um yeah. but that was so fun but um like just the variety I mean I don't yeah. get it when I lived in Paris people would say oh English food oh so what's beef <laughs> so it's only roast beef the Brits can do. It's like we have everything. Yeah, it's so. I think there is what, such that's what I love about the UK. It's just so eclectic, so vibrant, so um, varied. It's just you're so spoiled. You guys don't know how good you have it. <laughs> and okay, so what are you? What are your favourite kind of go to places? You know what? There was only one restaurant I managed to go to pre the locked the second lockdown happening and it was in soho it's called fat pundit and they do um what's it indo-chinese food and it was just so oh my goodness my mouth was just like 
all these flavors. It's just like, what's going on? I didn't know I could taste like this. It was just so oh, I mean, delicious. Where is it? Um, where is it in Soho? I can't remember. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. I'll, I mean, I can look that up. <laughs> You've done so much from the cookery books, from the TV shows, which you're now producing yourself, podcast. What, like, what for you is your biggest achievement today? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> just a casual question. Um, I, I think, uh, I think the biggest achievement or something which took the most guts was actually deciding to quit my job in fa- luxury fashion PR marketing uh, in my mid twenties. I was kind of making, you know, climbing the ladder, doing the career woman yeah. thing. So you went to Central St. Martins, you worked yes. in PR. Yeah. Um, you were kind of carving out a career for yourself exactly. in London. Yeah. And, um, and I just, uh, I decided to quit that and, you know, go to Paris and study. And you didn't Patisserie. speak French. I didn't speak French. It was like, Bonjour, come vous, je m'appelle Rachel. <laughs> well, that's all you need. <laughs> yeah. So my French was pretty awful. <laughs> but now you are fluent in French and also you've learned Swedish. Yes. So, um, and I speak German from when I lived in Germany. But I must say Swedish, I mix my Swedish with my French and my German because it's the fourth language I've learned. So it's it's difficult. Also, Sweden, everybody speaks English. So you really have to push yourself with the Swedish. Right, right. Um, but now I'm kind of have to really kind of push myself because uh, I want to keep up with my four-year-old who's like bilingual. Yeah, so, I was going to say, yeah. You're ch- yeah. And yeah. do you speak French to the children as well? Oh, no, I can't like it. No, my, my <laughs> head. just be my, too much. <laughs> I think it would be, if I were to speak another language, it would be German because that's like, um, it's what well, my mum's. you did four years in Bavaria is yeah exactly and my mum's Austrian so I kind of yeah so it means also in terms of connection when I go to Austria I feel a lot more connected than when I go to Malaysia I'm like even though it's part of my heritage I feel more like a tourist because I don't speak um I don't speak Cantonese which is like the dialect or Hokkien which is the dialect my family in Malaysia speak or well in Malaysia you speak um Malay or English is still quite common because it's an ex-British colony so um, I don't feel as connected which is like even though like the culture and the food I'm like yeah Yeah. this is kind of part of me but I think yeah it's it's really hard to kind of navigate when you're mixed that whole where do you belong and I'd still say I'm British. Where do you feel like you belong? (laughs) Where, where, Where do you where's your where's your parents live? So they live in Austria. Okay so does that feel like home for you then? I think it feels like a second home. Right. But the funny thing is when I was in the UK uh, this autumn, I was like, yeah, I everything's familiar. I like, you know, I turn on the breakfast TV, you know, Saturday yeah. kitchen or whatever. I'm like, this is all familiar. <laughs> or like I even had a milkman. Oh, my goodness, I love the milkman. I have the milk <laughs> bottles, so retro. But it was great. I managed to find a milkman he delivered. There was like um, yeah. there was this app so you know, you put in your order Modern. and stuff like that. Modern. Um, I felt at home. But then after, you know, coming towards the end of the three month stay, I was like, I'm ready to go home. And yeah. I and guess the home is, is now very much Sweden. Stockholm. Yeah, Stockholm. Yeah. So, um, but I guess this is, I've always felt like um, I have different chapters in my life and they're different homes for different chapters, you know. Yeah. So, um, would you ever yeah. move back to Paris? Not with kids. Not with kids. Yeah. Uh, no, it's just like, um, 
it, like, uh, I just remember going to Paris, um, with my eldest many years ago. Um, and the parks are just so busy because Paris is very much, everybody lives on top of each other. Yeah. And there's just so many kids at the parks and in Sweden, <laughs> you just have so much space. So it's just like, it's just, yeah, there's a lot of waiting, waiting for swings. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, yeah. So, um, no, I love Paris and I, I do miss Paris a lot, but I think we're in the right place, uh, for what my life is right now. So, yeah. Yeah. I guess, yeah, one thing I am curious about is mm. what was the impetus for that change in direction? You know, when did you realize that, was there like that light, mo- light bulb moment where you realized like food needed to be at the center of everything you were doing? You were working in fashion. Everything was kind of much different or kind of, you know, being at art school, especially at Central St. Martins, which is yeah. not easy to get into. So that, you know, you'd invested a lot in that direction and kind of that career path. What was that? What was the moment that changed things for you? Well, funnily enough, I was going through <laughs> loads of old boxes of stuff, moving back everything from London, and I found my old art projects. And I did this massive chocolate felt bourbon biscuit at right. in my foundation course at St. Martin's. And I did this photo project of me worshipping this chocolate bourbon <laughs> because it was my, oh my favourite biscuit. <laughs> You need to get that out. (laughs) Yeah. Even back then I was like obsessed with food. And um, I, I, when I was at St. Martin's, I managed to get an assisting job uh, for an interior stylist who worked a lot with the Sunday Times Style magazine. And then she got me a job assisting on food shoots. And so I really liked the food styling world. And, And when I graduated, I really wanted to go into food styling, but I just, I couldn't afford to work for free because a lot of the assisting jobs were no money, you know, just wasn't feasible. So that's why I ended up in fashion PR marketing. So it was always kind of in the back of my mind and like, you know, evenings and holidays, I kind of do like cookery courses. Um, And then I hit a point where um, my landlady, so I was living with um, a single mum and her son uh, and she was about to move. And I felt, you know what? maybe I go to culinary school because I was talking to a few uh, food stylist agencies and food stylists like how do I how can I break it how can I yeah yeah you know get work paid and they said look you need more kind of technical expertise you either need to work in a restaurant which I didn't want to do or you need to um like go to culinary school so I looked at culinary school in London I looked at it in Vienna and I looked at it in Paris and then I thought, okay, Paris is more of a risk, but what I could do with Paris is go to culinary school, learn French, and if that doesn't work out, plan B would be to come back to London and be a trilingual secretary in the city. So that was like... I mean, that was plan like, A sounds much better. I know, but <laughs> it was just like, that was me justifying to take a year yeah, out yeah, to, of course. to study patisserie. So that's how I just felt... I'm just going to give it a go for a year. And if it doesn't work out, I just come back to London and I get a job in the city. So there you go. Oh my goodness. And then the rest is history. <laughs> yes. So you wrote two cookery books in French when you were out there. Yeah. And then you, while uh, testing the recipes, you would then open up your home as a restaurant to two people yes. twice a week. That's, but also how was that experience? Because when I think about when I've done pop-ups, pop-up restaurants and stuff, and we used to do it in the old pub that I lived at, I mean, complete chaos, but also there would be people everywhere, but then to have two people is almost more intense. Did you have to make conversation? Did they want you to, were you, you know, you, it's quite intimate. 
Yeah, so I actually would sit down and have lunch with them. So I would, I was kind of like the hostess. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So um, because my flat was so tiny, I mean, it was so, so I had the little like IKEA foldable table. I only had two chairs, so I had to sit on this little kind of stool, <laughs> just like, <laughs> and um. And I, I would like, you know, I would kind of ask them what you do. We'd have chats and like tell them about life in, in Paris. Um, I do, I did get a lot of emails from like American couples coming on their honeymoon. And I always would have to write, look, just so you know, um, this is not a romantic setup. You know, you can't like. I need to try the food too. I'm testing it. (laughs) I will be sitting in between you guys, and like, you know, I can't go hide in the bathtub. You know, the only place you could go hide would be in the like the bathroom. Um, So it was. I always said, look, you're coming to have lunch at mine. It's going to be like an exchange, a cultural exchange, and you can see what it's really like to live in a tiny flat in Paris. So, so that was kind of the 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 kind of experience I was selling it wasn't just about the food and all the pop-up yeah. restaurants I did in that kind of time period because I did some pop-ups in Berlin, Buenos Aires, Melbourne, Sydney, oh London, Paris, all these different cities. I kind of, um, it was not just about the food, but it was about the human connection. And that's what I love yeah. about food is you can take the whole experience to another level through like giving that human connection like um and that's why what humans need we need that yeah and that's 100%. why people love food is because it can bring people together no matter your race your sexuality whatever it can bring people it's together common ground yeah exactly and that's and that's why i love using food as a medium to communicate my ideas is because it has that experience element too so um yeah, so that that was kind of one of my ideas, you know. I, yeah. I'll just do do it in my and how, home. <laughs> how many people do you? How many couples or you know people? How many pop up restaurants do you think you might have done throughout um, that period? I'm trying to. I've got the guest book from the Paris. Oh no! Yeah, I'm like That's just such like, a nice see thing. It. I unpacked it. So because I, I what I would do, I would I'd print out the menu from every meal and then I'd write. Um, the like little kind of uh, message people would write the message and I remember what's interesting is a couple came and um, <laughs> uh, they were really cool like really really cool like so cool I was like oh my goodness like because the guy kind of did graffiti <laughs> kind of design in the in the in the guest book and oh, um, wow. the woman um, we kept in touch and um uh, so the woman's she's called Kenya Hunt who wrote this amazing book called Girl 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 um, right. and she's the fashion editor at Grazia now right. so, okay. so it's funny how like your wells collide in random places you know yeah. so um, yeah it was really really inspiring <laughs> to meet all these random people I guess that's what yeah. I missed too I was like, my next question really is, has there been any people that have really inspired and kind of impacted your thought process, your career or taking you, you know, I guess provided more than inspiration, like along the way? Um, I guess, um, any mentors? Yeah. I like, so, uh, I'm looking for a mentor at the moment. (laughs) Anybody want to apply? You don't need one. You're, you're, you are the mentor. No, no, no. You need somebody to inspire you and push you and really like question what you're doing. And, you know, is that the right direction? 
Um, so, I mean, my mother and my grandma, uh, really hard working, just, uh, and generous women, you know, just so, um, that's such you're a nice sacrificing so much, you know, so, so I think that that is kind of key in terms of food. So when Nigella Lawson used to have a column very long, long time ago, writing about certain, like beauty, I think in the Sunday times, it was years and years ago when I was like 20 years ago or something like that. I kind of discovered her writing and when she first came out, her writing really spoke to me. Um, I thought yeah. that was really inspiring. And then Anthony Bourdain, um, his way, his vision of like the way his programs are shot, you know, it's, it's not just the cinema, like it's not just the food or the people we meet, yeah. but it's also the storytelling through the cinematography, through the way it's yeah. edited, through the way it's cut. You know, I, I'm trying to learn about those kind of things. Um, I'm no Anthony Bourdain. I don't have that way of describing things as that's not me I'm more of a this is like St Martin's background is like you come up with the idea and then you hire the the skilled people to like um create your like fulfill your creative vision vision. yeah Yeah. one of the reasons why I wanted to do the podcast was from you know you work freelance it's a lot of time is spent on your own and so any opportunity to collaborate to feel inspired to listen to other people's stories just feels like the biggest treat yeah I think it's totally. so important to be around people and to see how other people are doing things and to support other people especially within like the same industry I think it's such a yeah important part so yeah. I'm very appreciative you're on this today oh no thank you I just I do want to say I might sound like my life is but everybody has lows I just don't tend to share my lows on social of media <laughs> yeah well no it's the same I think everyone has their struggles and I think yeah it's I, I, I think I, there has to be some degree of privacy. Yeah, it's well, interesting. It's like uh, everybody has a different way of how they want to share things. And I'm not somebody who is, I'm quite private, you know, and I yeah. want to, I, I, it's like what you see on Instagram is an edited version of my life. It is yeah, very much course. like a, you know, I am just telling you what I'm doing work-wise mainly, Um all the other stuff. You don't want to hear about the nappy explosion. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we do. They're <laughs> no, no, all like running out of milk, this one, all those kind of things. I like, yeah. you know, just share. I just want to share like, and so people really, I think, I think people are kind of getting onto this, like yeah. social media is just highly edited. So highly, like, just edited. like remind yourself, you know, it's absolutely normal. You can't always ha- like have these highs. There are a lot of yeah, a lot of struggles and a lot of things which you just don't want to share, and you feel like you want to struggle on your own. But you can struggle with other people. You, I think, um, it's really up to how you want to do it. I think there's no yeah. uh, right or wrong way. <laughs> no, but I definitely think the takeaway has to be that you know social media is edited. Yes. <laughs> I think, when people yeah. are like, oh God, your life is this. It's just like, well, I didn't think, you know, the house stuff would be, re- you know, the, the level of stress and like, I don't know, the big fight with my husband would be like something yeah. that's worth sharing, you know? Yeah, no, it's like- Not that fun. Uh, no, exactly. I have to ask you though, yeah. where do you think your drive and ambition comes from and your confidence and, you know, you think big, clearly. Where do you think that comes from? Um, Does that run deep in the family or? So um, I think- I come from a family, hard work, it's always, yeah. you know, um, I love what I do. 
I really love what I do and I'm very grateful for the opportunities I that come my way. But I also believe nothing happens from nothing. And if you want to have something, you just got to go for it. Yeah. You might, you probably, I mean, you know, a lot of the times they get a no. I don't even, somebody doesn't even answer my email. Like I start ringing them. They're like, why are you calling me? Who are you? <laughs> kind of thing. Um, but I just believe you just got to go for it. And uh, life is too short. Yeah. It's crazy. It's that. already March. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Where did that happen? How did that happen? This <laughs> is like, yeah. you know. Um, and I, so on this creative pirate course, I went, there were lots of interesting things I learned, but one of the things is like break down your day and see what things you do in your day are energy giving and what are energy draining. So you've right. got to remind yourself, you are running this marathon of life. It's really tough, but you need to nourish yourself. You need to do things which are energy giving. So yeah. actually like break it down. Look at the things. What are, what is draining my energy? Are there ways you can get lower those and do more energy giving so I realized yeah. energy giving things for me is like meditating exercise you know getting out quickly for 10 minute walk or whatever or so I'm I'm trying to like do more energy giving and then the energy yeah. draining are like dealing with these stupid emails like or maybe I can just block it off and I just like right I only deal with emails this time or energy draining is actually having my phone in my bedroom in the evening? Is there a way I could just yeah. have a clock and put the phone downstairs and charging and just say from 10 o'clock, I don't have a phone in the bedroom? I don't yeah. know. So so I'm really trying to think, okay, what? how can I make myself the, you know, the strongest? The best I can, yeah. Yeah, you know, 100%. you really want to give yourself energy. And, and so like in a very practical way, you can actually like break down your day and see, what yeah. what is it what is it actually what is possible you know yeah. um also like with being a parent it's like where am I losing my battles is there a way I can change it up I mean obviously we're living in a crazy world at the moment it might not be possible so don't be so hard on yourself maybe it's that is the energy giving yeah. thing I don't know yeah. so I, I'm no I'm no coach but <laughs> no but I love all of that I'm like I really actually buy into all of that I meditate every day, every morning, maybe at weekends, I'll give myself the day off, but I always notice when I don't. And it is about just like nourishing yourself, taking time out for yourself. And I think so many people put that at the bottom of the pile. When actually, if you put that at the top of the kind of to-do list, you can then do everything at kind of, you know, higher energy, but you know, you can give, be your better self. And I think, yes, that's what's so important because yes. as opposed to struggling through everything I just think there's you know help yourself out give yourself the best chance possible and, and it doesn't need to be something really big no maybe it's just that day for that day is actually taking the time to shower and brush your teeth totally totally um I have to ask when are you at your happiest Ooh, when am I at my happiest just after I finished a run <laughs> oh, well you're so pleased with yourself yes the or like endorphins are pumping exercise, you know um yeah. or ticking a list off I love a list oh god why is that so pleasing I'm very much into kind of pens and paper and like ballpoint pens specifically like the gel style I mean I really can spend hours list. in a stationery shop just <laughs> testing out the pens on the podcast previously I've asked people what you know for anyone wanting to pursue a career similar to yourself or in food and um what tips would you give them but I'm presuming that that's you know make those small steps 
towards your end goal every day. Yeah, and and um, also really be true to yourself. Like if you are finding, and it takes time to find that confidence to know what you want, and that can change. Obviously, you don't have to have, okay, I'm going to be like this for the rest of my life. But knowing there and then, what is my style? What do I want to do? Like, um, and when you know the parameters you want to work in, then it's easier to say, well, this project doesn't really feel right for me. You know, it doesn't yeah. feel true to me. So, um, I think it, it's uh, being true to yourself because then you never have to fake anything and, and faking yeah. things is, is, uh, it takes double the amount of energy. I mean, you have to see yeah. when I have to fake when I'm happy on camera. <laughs> <laughs> It's not easy. Really forced smiles. What do you still want to achieve? What will the next 10 years bring for Rachel Koo? I don't know. I really love what I'm doing. So like if I can continue doing more TV projects, uh, I'm right now I haven't, uh, the last cookbook I did, like the physical printed cookbook was the little Swedish kitchen. And that was in yeah. 2016. 16. Oh. I can't even, oh. 15, 15, I can't even remember. <laughs> All the books just blend in. It's, it's a while ago now. Oh my goodness, I can't believe it's a while ago. So, um, but I haven't felt the need to, I don't know, I feel like there's so many amazing cookbooks out there. And if I write a cookbook, I want to be like, we need this cookbook, you know? Yeah, I'm of course. Like I've got, like, I just, um, so I'm quite happy not having to write because a cookbook it's like almost having a baby I think it's just yeah. so it's it's so it's intense demanding. it's a really intense yeah. so I kind of I like doing tv I like doing the creative projects um right now I am working on a Japanese product uh, launch uh, for Japan doing some projects over there um which is really fun because I get involved in product design as well as also what having type of products oh just some kitchen really simple kitchen project uh products oh, nice. but really really simple um but I'm involved from the product to the packaging to actually the creative vision like putting the crew to the, together Amazing. to create the kind of social media campaign so that I really enjoy and I've realized yeah. I really enjoy coming with up with the idea hiring the right people <laughs> Like making, that's the dream scenario. Making it happen. I mean, my dream yeah. scenario would be to have like a super diverse like crew. I'd be work creative crew. I'd be working with, and and yeah. um and that is what I like with the shoot I just did this weekend. Um, really try and want to invest in, and I'm looking for you know ways because I kind of self finance the weekend to make it happen. I need to now make it financially viable and trying to make, you know, get more diversity, certainly in the Swedish kind of TV yeah. realm I'm working in, which is very tiny. <laughs> yeah, but, very tiny. But amazing. Yeah. It, everything has to start small. It doesn't, that doesn't mean that, you know, it doesn't apply to you. It's, yeah. it's important. And also, you know, it's just exciting to work with people from a diverse background. Like you want that input. Otherwise, I yeah. think you can, everything can be a bit too linear and it's all coming from the same point of view. And I don't think that that's always a positive. Yes, I like totally like, mm. and also I think you can learn from some, some, the runner as well as the head honcho. You know, everybody yeah. has their energy and their, you know, skill set to Value. bring to the yeah. project. So, yeah. So what's next for you? Oh, what's next? Well, I was hoping so to come back. <laughs> I was hoping to come back to the UK soon, but 
I don't know if that's going to happen very soon. Um, so what's next? At the moment, I I said I, I was supposed to be slowing, like taking it easy. And then I sent my friend a text message saying, yeah, I'm taking it easy. And then I listed all the things I'm doing. And I'm like, let's not take it easy. <laughs> <laughs> There's no beach breaks in that list. Um, I think, um, so the big thing is like relaunching my website. Yeah. And amazing. then working on this Japanese project. Um, and then I'm going to start pitching new projects. I want to do um, a bit more writing, um, but not necessary like a serious cookbook, something a little bit different. Um, yeah. And then I've just really want to invest in myself this year. Sounds like yeah. I just feel like I need to find more creative inspiration and open my yeah. mind up. This is where this food design course is really kind of like putting me back totally. into the kind of design world, which I come from. Um, yeah. And, and just so excited. Learning more. I feel like I just want to yeah. learn more. You know, I want to learn Same. more. Same. That's exactly yeah. what I'm. So um, I'm just like uh, out there looking for for people who want to teach me stuff. <laughs> yeah, amazing, amazing. So within the podcast, within every podcast, we get to the uh, the end of it and we yes. have to talk about the sandwich because I feel like this is the common ground between all people worldwide. <laughs> we can all kind of meet in the middle. Uh, uh, you know, common ground is sandwich making. Yeah. Are you passionate about sandwich? Yes. <laughs> I'd love it if you just like, no. <laughs> uh, no, not so actually, and I don't make them. <laughs> um, what is your go-to sandwich? Talk us through. Okay, uh, so it uh, depends ultimate. where you, if you'd met me in Paris, for instance, in Paris, it would be a baguette de tradition. So it's a okay. traditional baguette. Yeah. Loads of, like, so there was this butter I could buy at my fromagère, and it was like... Um, they sell it like in wheels and they have like a cheese wire to cut it. And it's got really big grains of salt in it. So it's salt. super salty oh and you goodness. just like, and you need to put so much you on. You can just stop there. Okay. All right. It's also, <laughs> it's pretty so awesome. Like that. Butt and baguette. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> right. But you want yeah. to put so much on that when you bite into it, you get teeth marks. Yes. That's the level of thickness. With you. Okay. Yeah. Just that's both really important. Both sides or one side? Um, both sides, of course. Both. <laughs> Come yeah, on. Hello. Delicious. <laughs> I'm like, hang on, I must show you something. Uh, I have this yeah. up in my office. Well, anybody who knows me is like, I have, you can't see it actually. Butter makes everything better. That yes. is my slogan. So, um, <laughs> and is true. It's true. And is fact. Yes. So, uh, baguette de tradition, uh, beurre de sel. And then, um, ah, you could either do a jambon beurre, you know, really nice, uh, French ham or mm -hmm. a comté, like a 24 month old comté. So the comté oh. is aged in the way that salt crystals start developing. Yeah. And, um, or, or what very simple is just like thinly sliced uh, pink rose radishes on the salty butter with baguette. Also, Ooh, I've, not, I've not kind of gone down that route. Okay. And just going back to the kind of ham baguette, yes. um, are you adding any Dijon, any mustard, any mayonnaise? Or Dijonese? In, Paris, in like France, they have Dijonese. And for me, I'm constantly combining the two. Are you Oh, I'd be tempted, but sometimes the, the, the simplicity. The salt. You know, because the baguette is just like at that perfect crustiness and it's oh got God, that I'm slightly salivating because it, you don't like you want a little bit of it. Um, yeah. And then um, the butter, it's like, and 
you don't want that sharpness. Maybe some cornichon. No. Actually, cornichon okay. is a little yes. nice touch. Yeah. Um, okay. So that's <laughs> kind of good. Yeah. So I, I mean, Jean Bonbois is a classic in Paris. You can get them. Every boulanger will do that. Boulanger, you would do that. So it's nothing revolutionary, but but delicious. You know, you just can't go wrong with it. Or like a, a really nice cheese. It's um, yeah. it's divine. Um, and then if you were to meet me in my Swedish kind of now in Sweden, then yeah. there is there's some amazing bakeries in Stockholm. And there's one called Green Rabbit. Um, and it's by, it's run by, uh, well, I don't know if he still runs it, but it's kind of connected to one of the big Swedish chefs called Matthias Dahlgren, who's got a Michelin star restaurant here in Stockholm. And they do a lot of old flowers and they do a really hearty rye bread, um, Ooh. which is delicious, a really dark, kind of rectangle, kind of square, um, yeah. really heavy, really dense, kind of like, and you slice it, you want to toast it just a little bit so it chars on the outside. And that brings yeah. out the sweetness of the rye bread. Obviously, you need butter. <laughs> like, yes. just like, this is like, this is the uh-huh. common bread. You just need butter, you know? Butter, you need, whatever you're doing, add butter. Like, you need butter. Or you could go, forget the butter, you'd go for a nice dollop of sour cream. Then they have... Okay. Kalex Lerom, which is, um, it's a Ven, I don't know if I'm saying it, it's Vendas, Vendas, uh, row. It's like a, it's part of the salmon family. But this row right. is like orange, really, really tiny. Bigger. And the big, oh, really it's tiny. Tiny, okay. yeah. And, um, it's sweet. It's salty. It's like a little bit salty. It's not like caviar, which yeah. is really salty. It's salty, but a little bit sweet. And so you'd mm. have that. Um, on top, and then you'd have chives, and then finely chopped red onion, really finely chopped red onion, and you sprinkle that on top. And it would be our open sandwich. Open sandwich. Yeah, yeah. But if you Sweet wanted stuff. to go, the, the rye thing is the kind of healthy part. Um, but if you, <laughs> <laughs> if you wanted to go, like, because it's a bit like um, they do this as a starter in restaurants. What they do is they take a slice of brioche, they fry it in butter, and then they put that kind of topping on top. Or you, they do it in little kind of um, bowls and you make your own kind of toast. Oh, yeah. So, but I like the rye bread because I like that nuttiness and the kind of yeah. sweetness you get in the rye bread. So that would be... Um, <laughs> That I'll take be both of those, please. <laughs> <laughs> and are you a condiment fan? Do you? Because I know for I start to say this all the time. Like I eat way too much mayonnaise, and my fridge is kind of probably forty percent condiments. What's what's your situation? We have about twenty bottles of hot sauce in our fridge. Yes, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So yes, we love hot sauce. Um, yeah. And actually, what's really exciting in the UK? There's so many places like companies or people just starting their own hot sauce company. I found like there's so many, there's real lot of like innovation happening, which is really exciting. So I think um, I really kind of ordered Lowe's while I was in the UK and then I packed it in my suitcase really carefully. So I had a suitcase full of hot sauce. This is this is all I buy my husband for any kind of birthday or Christmas. It's just hot sauce. I think one Christmas I got him a litre of this. I can't think what it's called. It's um, this Mexican hot sauce, which we've just run out of. And it's incredible. But he was like, where's the rest of my presents? I was like, you love hot sauce. This is it. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> like the meanest but best present ever. 
Sounds a liter of hot sauce. Um, okay, well that's that's everything. But honestly, I just say I've like it's been so lovely to talk to you, and I feel super inspired. Oh, that's really kind. Thank you for joining me this week on The Filling. You can follow me at Anna Barnett Cooks on Instagram for exclusive visuals of my guests' fabulous kitchens and for the recipe to recreate their go-to sandwiches. And of course, subscribe to The Filling on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. The music for today's podcast was recorded by Pony Bones. Pony Bones.